Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 77 of the show. Before we dive in today, I want to take a minute to thank a sponsor who is helping to make today's show possible. Today's show is made possible by New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is committed to bringing customers the highest grade organic CBD oil on the market. Their full spectrum oil is made with organic hemp extract and is free from preservatives and pesticides with ingredients that are derived from licensed farms in Colorado only using sustainable farming practices. New Leaf Naturals is committed to helping people live happier and healthier lives with their line of CBD products. Use the link in the show notes to shop New Leaf Naturals today and use the code HIPPIE20 for 20% off your order. That's HIPPIE20, H-I-P-P-I-E 20 for 20% off. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Today, I am welcoming an all-star team to the show. They're sorority sisters, their business partners, and their moms on a mission. Welcome, Kim and Aaliyah. These two women started an online marketplace for buying eco-friendly baby stuff just over a year ago. And their shop doesn't feature just any brands, but specifically focusing on Black-owned businesses. When I came across them online, I saw that so many of our values aligned. Not only did I add a bunch of their items to my baby registry, but I also asked them if they'd come on the show to share with us. There's a lot of topics I could have interviewed them about today, but the main thing we're discussing is environmental racism. This is a concept that I know many people really aren't aware of, but it's a really important aspect of systematic racism because it has dramatic effects on the health and the well-being of people of color. Today in part one, Kim and Aaliyah are defining what environmental racism is and giving us some practical examples of it. This was a super educational and informative conversation, and we're continuing it in part two next week, where we'll talk more about their business and how we can help to fight this kind of injustice. In the meantime, I know you'll want to check out all the wonderful products that they have to offer, and in case you were wondering, they're not just for babies or parents either. There's products for everyone, no matter who you are. The link to their store and to their social media is in the show notes, which you can view on whatever app you're using to listen or on my website, heartfelthippie.com. And while you're there, would you please consider leaving a review for the show? Reviews are super helpful because they tell Apple and all the other podcast sites that people like what I'm doing, and that means that more people will hear about the show. I especially want more people to hear the interviews like we're doing today with Kim and Aaliyah so that they can learn about a very real and relevant type of oppression. I want to take a second to acknowledge someone who took the time to write a review. This review says, an approachable way to meaningful impact. Love how approachable this show is in the variety of topics. Really enjoying the deep dives and the big takeaway for me is all the little things I can pick up and do in my life that add up to meaningful changes. Thank you so, so much for that review. And like I said, it really only takes a few minutes to leave one, so please do that. Make sure you're subscribed to the show too so that you know when part two is available next week. And now for what you came for, here is my conversation with Kim and Aaliyah. All right. Hey, Kim and Aaliyah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having us. Hi, thank you. I'm excited. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you both. And it's always fun when I get to have two people on. So can you just start out with introducing yourselves for the listeners? Sure. I'm like, who should go first? Um, I'll go (laughs) first. So my name is Aaliyah um, and I am a co-founder of Evergreen Baby with Kim. I was born and raised in Queens, New York. I have been married to my husband, Marvin, for three years now. Quick little story about us. We actually met in elementary school, lost touch for 20 years, and then found each other on a dating app. So those of you who are on Plenty of Fish and all those different apps, (laughs) there's hope out there for you. But yeah, so we've been married for three years now, and we have a sweet little baby boy, Caleb, who is now 
16 months, going on 16. <laughs> and Caleb is our chief baby officer over here at Evergreen Baby. So he makes a lot of the important decisions about products uh. that we carry. And yeah, when I'm not working on Evergreen Baby, I am an after school director. And I've been a freelance makeup artist for almost 10 years now. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And I'm Kim, co-founder as well, obviously. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and I've lived in many different parts of New York, including places upstate for university. I remember when I lived and worked in South Korea, and I came back to New York and cried in appreciation of the diversity here, so I'm definitely a hardcore Mm -hmm. New Yorker. Okay. I identify as a Black woman of African descent with a cultural upbringing from parents who were born in the Dominican Republic. First generation American. Okay. I have a son who's five years old. His name is Olympus. I'm a single mom. Aliyah and I actually, well, I don't know if you'll if you'll get to that how we met. Yeah. But um, yeah. we work in the same organization. Also a program director. Okay. And when I'm not at work working on Evergreen Baby, I'm very much into fitness. I like to write and hike, and just I'm a very active person. I love that. That's so cool. So you guys, do you both live in New York? Yeah. Okay, very cool. So you met through work and decided recently, I think, to start this business together. So tell us a little bit about Evergreen Baby, when it started, and yeah, how, how you kind of decided to start this adventure together. Yeah, so like like I mentioned before, Aliyah and I, we share the same day job. Uh-huh. We have similar roles. We, yeah, we work for the same organization, and it's how we met. We're also sorority sisters. Shout out to the Delsas out there. We are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it happened that early last year in 2020, as COVID and social justice outcries were on the rise, our yeah. administration reacted irresponsibly to the social justice issues and got mm-hmm. thinking about how we could make meaningful impacts in our community ourselves, how we can step up yeah. in addition to thinking creatively and empowering ourselves as black mothers to young boys in this world that honestly does a piss poor job at equity when it comes to all matters uh, really of gender, race, uh-huh. health, wealth, and on and on and on. I don't know if uh, Aaliyah wants to jump in and complete the story, but... Um. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, the idea for Evergreen Baby really happened organically. So as Kim mentioned, you know, we were dealing with some things at our workplace that we weren't too happy about. And, you know, we were just speaking mm-hmm. offline. And out of that conversation, she asked a random question. She was like, hey, do you know of any Black-owned businesses that sell eco-friendly baby stuff? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure there's a bunch of companies out there. And she's like, no, I mean, like one place where you can get a bunch of things from black owned businesses and everything's eco friendly. And I was like, ooh, I don't know if that exists. So from that conversation, we really started doing some research um, and just looking into the market to see what was there. And, you know, there are some beautiful black owned businesses out there in the baby space, in the green baby space, but there really wasn't one central location that you can go and, you know, pick a variety of items. So that's kind of how Evergreen Baby was born. Can I add a little bit more to the the story? Yeah. Yeah, So I I love the way you, you follow that up. And specifically, I was experiencing a moment where 
a lot of people I knew were sending the virtual baby shower invitations along with their registries. And I was very intentional and adamant, always had been, but there was definitely an incline in that, you know, as a result of everything that was going on, where I did not want to invest my hard earned single momming dollars into communities that was not my own. So let's just say that I wanted my dollars to rotate within the black community. And I started asking my friends if they knew of comparable brands where, you know, black brands where I could buy the items on their registries. And across the Uh board, I kept hearing no, but if you find them, I'd love to know about them. So that's where the idea came, (laughs) you know, to start something up to fill that gap. And the first person on my mind was Aaliyah. I called her. And the rest was history, as she as she said. Yes. So yeah, so Evergreen Baby is an online marketplace and we offer eco-friendly baby essentials from all Black-owned companies. So when you purchase from us, it's guaranteed to be eco-friendly and from a Black-owned business. Um, And our mission really Mm -hmm. is to amplify Black voices in the baby space um, and to really normalize buying Black. So, Mm -hmm. you know, our products are for everyone. Buying Black certainly isn't just a Black thing, but we want to normalize supporting Black-owned businesses across the board, not just for Black History Month, not just when there are you know, issues of racial injustice that happen, but, you know, 365 days a year supporting small, beautiful Black-owned businesses. Yes. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Okay, so obviously one part of your business is the eco-friendly aspect. So let me ask you first, how did you both become interested in, like, eco-friendly living? Like, why was buying eco-friendly baby products specifically important to you? Yeah, I was I was thinking about when my eco-conscious mindset began. I was trying to think uh-huh. how far back I can trace it. And it was really interesting that it was with my mom, like, as early as birth. And it's sort of a radical thing to say. And, and it's, it's kind of like a, a full circle moment for me. So I, I appreciate it, uh-huh. like, being asked this question because my, my parents were – low working class immigrants in New York City. Uh-huh. We're now definitely then we were sub- surrounded by food deserts and so many environmental hazards. Yeah. And my mom would repurpose so much in the household, like everything. So when I was young, it was embarrassing to me how she would repurpose, repurpose all the clothes, make them hair accessories, pillowcases, you name it. And she she was a seamstress. So she would just take anything that didn't fit us anymore and repurpose it. Then she would use all the glass jars. She wouldn't throw any glass jars out. She'd use them to, you know, maybe she was making a a, a hair product for us or, you know, something like that. And I was embarrassed because societal norms and communities of color tell us that that new things made you appear to be further removed from being associated with poverty and with, you know, low income classes. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a trauma response. It's a trauma response to a lot of the inequities in this country and dating back if you want to take it all the way back. So, and so now I think of my mom, I'm like, wow, my mom was the OG of sustainability in my life. She was the old <laughs> yeah. school encounter for me of sustainability and I didn't even, re- I didn't even realize it. Right. So now I'm out here trying to do what she taught me in more conscious ways and, you know, more intentional about re- uh, what reusing means for the environment. I'm passionate mm-hmm. about demystifying and deconstructing sustainability in communities of color because in communities of color oftentimes sustainability looks like for some reason like we we don't want to be associated with that because of what that may mean in uh, Mm -hmm. terms of 
social constructs uh if you're following but um yeah yeah for me i I realized that's a form of mind control and it's it's meant to uphold status quo and socioeconomic divide amongst the have and have not Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think for me my journey came way later so when I became pregnant with my son, like, I feel like that's a natural time, you know, in a person's life. If you're pregnant, you kind of naturally have to start making different decisions um, on account mm-hmm. of the health of your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, so I can't use this. I can't use this. So I was becoming a lot more conscious about, you know, the household cleaning products, the things that I was eating, the places that, you know, I was going. So for me, it really just started with, you know, changing over our laundry products and our dish detergent and, you know, just our cleaning products. Mm -hmm. Now I've kind of started moving into skincare and like taking a deeper look into, you know, my skincare routine and how many natural ingredients I can use instead of, you know, going out to the store and buying things that I can't pronounce Mm -hmm. and I don't understand what they do and you know i remember i went to the dermatologist shortly after um, i had my son and i was dealing with some hyperpigmentation issues and they recommended this cream and they were like oh well are you breastfeeding because if you're breastfeeding then you got to wait because you can't use this and i remember thinking like well what the heck is in this (laughs) that i can't even use it topically without it affecting you know my breast milk yeah so that really scared me and you know now i'm like being a lot more conscious about what is coming into the household in terms of cleaning products in terms of even candles or skincare or hair care products mm-hmm. and i think just to piggyback off what kim said i think in some communities of color like when you think of eco-friendly living you think of birkenstocks and tie-dye <laughs> and burlap sacks and it's like you know this very crunchy type of you know or it's like oh my gosh And I think I had to change my mindset to, you know, eco-friendly living is a spectrum. It's not an all or nothing thing. Uh And it looks very different in every household. And I think the main goal is to make decisions and to make choices that are better for you and your family. And what decisions I make may look different from what decisions Kim makes or that you make for your family. But as long as you're striving to make more healthful decisions about, you know, the products that you use, the food that you eat, so on and so forth. I think that's really the goal Mm -hmm. to do better as you know better. Absolutely. Yeah. I love hearing both your different takes on that and how it's kind of been a different journey for you both. And I know I also really appreciate just like as you seek to be more eco-friendly and like low waste and all that kind of stuff, a lot of times what you end up doing is like better for you and your own health too. So I know I can Mm -hmm. totally appreciate that, especially as a mom also. And I think something else worth mentioning is that when it comes to kids specifically, because you guys could have done like a online marketplace for like all ages, but you specifically chose babies. And I guess I'll ask why, why you chose like kids in that, you know, parenting in that sector of things. But I'm guessing one of the reasons is because there's like a lot of waste that comes along with babies most of the time. Is that, is that accurate? We didn't even think of that. That's, that's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think for us, when we were starting, it was a representation thing. And it was just like, we don't see ourselves reflected in the baby market in the ways that we wanted to be seen. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, the ways that we wanted to gift, you know, people in our community. But, you know, you raised a great point, like waste with regards to, you know, having children, you know, the diapers, the wipes, all those different things. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh and, my gosh, you know, yeah. I find myself all the time. And I never, I never 
hopped on the bandwagon of you know reusable diapers that was very scary to me and my husband um maybe you know we have our next baby maybe that's something that we'll try because his family is from jamaica so they you know in terms of sustainability and using things from the earth and using you know repurposing things they've done that for years Uh but yeah i mean it's definitely something that's on our radar now just in terms of as we grow and add new things to the marketplace um, just thinking about how we can help people to kind of cut down on waste. Um, so using safer products, mm-hmm. but also cutting down on waste. Yeah, for me, when it, when it comes to kids, I feel like it's simple. They depend, another reason why we chose kids or to target that market. Uh, they depend on us, the parents, for sustenance. We uh-huh. sustain them. So while they're growing and evolving and developing agency, they rely on us to make all of these important decisions for them. Uh-huh. including what they eat and what they wear, what they learn, etc. So you would think that because products are being sold on the market for our children that they're safe. Yeah. Right? Like why would I question the integrity of baby products? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that laws are protecting companies over people, right? They wouldn't do that. But mm-hmm. the reality is that this is what's happening and so it's up to us to become educated on like Aaliyah said, the what our products are made out of and mm-hmm you know, we could be giving to our kids that may be leading to devastating health effects in their development. And it's important to shift consumerism to opting, like Aaliyah said, for simpler, safer products, products that are made with people in mind and with the environment in mind over gains at any cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And I love what you're doing because I know for me, and I think many of my listeners can relate, I always say, I'd rather not, like, if I don't have to, I'd rather not do all the research. I'd rather someone just tell me, like, buy this, buy this. And I feel like (laughs) you guys have done that for us. You've eliminated the need to do research. And you're like, hey, here's a great product. It's safe. And it's from a black owned business. Like, just buy this. And I can totally appreciate that. (laughs) So, okay, something else I told you I wanted to talk about in this interview was environmental racism and talking about how this conversation around sustainability and the conversation around race intersect. And Kim, you you kind of started to touch on that. But can you just start with defining what environmental racism is for anyone who hasn't heard that term before? Yeah, you know, I I was telling a friend that I was going to be interviewed with Aaliyah to talk about this topic and they're like wow that's a mouthful (laughs) so intimidating how would you like what are you gonna say (laughs) I was I was glad for that question because it allowed me to have a a, you know an honest conversation just right before this interview with someone who really didn't understand that concept Mm -hmm. so you know such a big concept yeah. So I, if I had to define it, I would say, you know, all the ways in which we're exposed to poison, toxins, chemicals, both seen and unseen, that can lessen our quality of life and affect our health externally, for example, with skin issues like eczema and internally causing things like autism and cancer, respiratory issues, things like can- um, I said cancer. COVID is what I meant to say, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. other C word, right? Something that's very present and, and prevalent right now, right? Mm-hmm. Our lungs, they're filled with all these hazards from our environment that should we become infected like something with COVID, we're less likely to be able to fight off the virus mm-hmm. and die. Mm-hmm. And so in the environment, there, there are toxic waste sites 
which we might be more familiar with, like uh, where our trash dump trucks unload every every day. People don't think about that, but it's just like, where are these places located, right? Mm -hmm. Where, and in terms of like where we live and the proximity to things like highways filled with pollution Mm -hmm. and chemical dumping sites, if you do your research and you know a little bit about zoning, a lot of low-income communities are closer to these toxic waste sites. And while it may not seem like a big deal, it is. It -hmm. is a big deal. If you notice, we're the ones disproportionately affected our health by all of those things that I mentioned, the asthma, the, you know, lung cancer, the autism, and it goes on and on. And so we've connected the dots. I, I feel like our goal is to bring awareness to those dots that people are not connecting or might not yeah. have the time to connect. And that was long because environmental racism is a huge concept, like I said, and it takes on many forms. But for us, as it relates to Evergreen Baby, we're tackling a piece of the large puzzle, a small piece. And we're concerned about the unethical production of products in our foods that we give to our children, Mm -hmm. toys, skincare items, household items, and the fact that a lot of these products contain high amounts of toxins. And, you know, again, which is chemicals and poisons that are ingested that are inhaled, that are absorbed on the skin, and they're being sold to families for babies. Mostly items that are mass-produced, and you think of your household names, like Johnson & Johnson, who's been on the news countless of times for selling products containing poisonous ingredients. Mm -hmm. They're out here thriving because they're cheap, and they can afford to be cheap. And folks just buy them because it's easy and economical, or Mm -hmm. we buy them because we're inundated and we're like, you know, up to our ears with advertisements and that's mm-hmm. consumer behavior at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. That was, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, great job. Great explanation. So, and this is kind of like a personal question. So if, you know, feel free to answer it however you want to go into as much detail as you feel comfortable, but have either of you felt like you've experienced environmental racism like on a firsthand level or like seen it in you know people's lives that you know and I just ask that because I think examples are always really helpful for for people to understand like you were saying with the garbage dump sites just wondering if you have any other examples that you would want to share with people yeah I think Kim kind of touched on it a little bit early in her explanation, but like just thinking so we live in New York City, so thinking uh-huh. about you know all the bus depots, where are all the buses parking, where are all the garbage mm-hmm. trucks mm-hmm. housed a lot of those are in communities of color, so you know not yeah. too far from my parents' house, a lot of the city buses are parked down there, yeah. so there are things that if you're not really paying attention, it's just like, oh, obviously they have to go somewhere, but I yeah. think we have to dig a little deeper and say, okay, but why are they there? And why uh-huh. is it that communities of color, our communities are pinpointed to have, you know, these facilities dumped there um, and who's advocating on our behalf and what protections are in place? Because it seems like, you know, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And, you know, I think there have been some advocacy groups who have been able to make some changes, but we really need to start looking at who is in office and who is making these decisions because, uh-huh. By far and and wide, the decision is being made to place these toxic waste dumps, for lack of a better word, to place them in communities of color or low-income communities. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it may not be blatant in your face, 
Um, but I think if you kind of dig a little deeper, look around a little bit more, um, you can kind of see these things happening. And I was having a conversation with my mom earlier today just about access to fresh foods. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in walking distance, I'll use, you know, my house for an example. In walking distance, there's two bodegas. If you don't live in New York, um, you know, a bodega is like a corner store. It's like a very small supermarket. Um, so mm-hmm. in walking distance, about five minutes away, you know, it's a very small produce section. It's like literally one aisle. It's right by the door. So God knows what's being drafted in there as the doors open and close and cars drive by. But if you go a little farther, then there's a little bit bigger of a store. And then if you drive to the next town over in Long Island, then there's a much larger, you know, grocery store with an entire section. It's not an aisle anymore. It's an entire section of all of the produce, the fresh produce, the beautiful produce that you could imagine and you could want. And I think, you know, it's also looking at things like that, like why do certain communities not have access to basic things like fresh food, clean water? You know, I think in this country, we have a bad habit of, well, if it doesn't affect me directly, I don't really have to think about it. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I think as this country continues to feed its need for more and more and faster and faster. The issues that are being faced by communities of color and poor and low income communities, eventually that that radius is going to get much larger. And if there aren't protections mm-hmm. in place for us now, you know, several years later when it's moving into other communities, there aren't any safeguards there either. So I think it's really an issue that we should all look at collectively and start the work now so that it doesn't continue. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all of that. And I wanted to say that, you know, firsthand for me, and I mentioned this before, you can see it in zoning and mapping policies. Like we just, we just said that. And so you're not likely to see upper class neighborhoods located in areas near toxic waste sites. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. You're not likely to see food deserts in middle to upper class neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Like you will see in low income neighborhoods. You'll see the Whole Foods and Trader mm-hmm. Joe's and gentrified neighborhoods. And in those neighborhoods that are predominantly black and poor, you'll see the sea town selling expired mm-hmm. products and meats that are bad because it's happened to me. I've had to go back into the store and say, I just bought this and I realized it was expired because I'm buying things expecting them not to be because you're you're selling them to me. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like these crazy, mind-blowing things. It's just like, why are you selling expired foods? Like, why are you selling rotten meat that smells bad? Right? And so we have these limited options. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm I'm a vegetarian slash pescatarian. Uh I eat fish here and there, but mostly a vegetarian. I have to go way out of my neighborhood to find options, alternative options. Or I have to be willing to spend double the money in a local supermarket because they up the prices because no one really buys it there so Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so those are the examples that we experience every day yeah absolutely no those are really good concrete things that people i think can probably picture if they had never thought of that concept before and even as you were talking it made me think back to a very early podcast episode that i did years ago about green cleaning and my guest talked about how this conversation around like green cleaning and ultimately sustainability and like toxin free living 
really did mm-hmm. intersect with like race and poverty in so many ways. And for her, the way she saw that the most was because her her company makes a eco-friendly, totally safe cleaning product and they mostly sell it to like schools and hospitals and that kind of thing so it's more of a large-scale operation it's not like something you'd see in the in the typical store but she talked about how like if you think about the people who are working with these chemicals day in and day out like our custodians and cleaning staff they're obviously people of a lower income because that's not a you know huge money-making job and a lot of times they're people of color too and so it's like they're the people who are exposed to these really harsh chemicals day in and day out and just think about the effect that that has on their health and I know that doesn't have to do as much with like uh, where you live necessarily but I thought that was another kind of great example of just the kind of kind of unfair circumstances that a lot of people that are of a lower income bracket are put in. Yeah. And it creates a cycle, right? So they're working yeah. with toxic materials and then they're going home to a community where there's toxins in the air and in the, in the water. So, yeah. And then, you know, it's just, so we wonder why, you know, communities of color have, you know, all these different health concerns. It's not because we're uh-huh. choosing to have them. It's because, you know, society is, is set up in a way to which, you know, some people are just kind of, thrown into this cycle and it, it's difficult to get out without anybody advocating on your behalf. So I think that was a perfect yeah. example. You know, you think you're going to work to earn an honest living and then you get home, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're faced with this environment and then you're faced with not even being able to access healthy and nutritious foods on a regular basis. So it, right. it's a difficult thing to swallow, but it's happening every single day. Yeah, totally. And that's, yeah, I think you said it well, too, where it's it's not by any bad choice on this person's part. You know, it's not like you can blame them in any way for the injustice that they're facing, essentially. So what would you say? I know you talked about, like, kind of vaguely that communities of color have deal with, like, worse health issues. Could you maybe explain that a little bit more? Like, what are the actual effects that we're talking about? Like, is it shorter lifespans? Is it more cases of cancer? Like, probably both those things. I, I don't know any details on that. So just if there was anything, like, more in-depth you wanted to share. Yeah, I you touched on it. And, and I we should have prefaced... <laughs> with the fact that we're not experts we're just really passionate about this. yeah yeah we we're not we're not experts at all we're just really passionate we we feel like we've been learning along yeah. the way we've been we've been learning a lot more as we've gone into this endeavor this lifetime endeavor and we incur we want people to become as excited and or interested and passionate about this topic so so we're learning as we go but to answer your question to the best of my ability uh-huh. i think the concern the most concerning effect is that people are dying disproportionately yeah. yeah and you see it most prevalently poignantly and presently with covid it, i think it's important to bring up because it's something that we're all living through and hopefully it's a qualifier like it or it's not a qualifier but it's something that we can all we're all experiencing across the globe so hopefully people will be able to relate on any level but the fact that communities of color are being most affected 
because we're exposed more to those pollutions and toxin-filled products and waste sites that we don't even pay attention to, our health is diminished. We are more exposed to asthma and cancer and overall poor yeah. health. So that if we are exposed to something like COVID, we're less likely to fight it off and we'll be dying at disproportionate rates. Mm-hmm. That, that's really the most concerning effect right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have both kind of already answered this because you've said like, communities of color and everything but I'm guessing this isn't something that only affects black communities or like black neighborhoods right this is is this like all colors of people or I mean I shouldn't say that is this like all minority cultures are included in this conversation absolutely okay yes (laughs) like yes period yeah (laughs) yeah I mean I think I think to, I think to be fair, there are, you know, some low income white communities that are affected by, you know, the same things that we face. Yeah. But by and large, if you look at the research, if you look at, you know, reports that have been done over the past 30 years, the pattern is clear that, you know, placing hazardous waste facilities tend to be more like tend to be in communities of color. Yeah. So, you know, while we're certain there are other communities being affected, yeah. the large majority of the communities being affected by environmental racism are communities of color, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's honestly something I didn't really think about when you brought up like administration with this conversation is that, I don't know, I guess I kind of assumed this was just a by chance kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah, just by chance, like, these sites are like by low income communities or whatever but it's interesting to me that you said like no like somebody's deciding that okay yeah let's put this near this neighborhood where it's like people of color and lower income essentially like we don't really care as much about them I mean that sounds awful to say but I'm guessing that's the truth Mm -hmm. yeah it's the truth and I think that that's something that we all should be grappling with not just communities of color or you know people who consider themselves allies like this is something that affects us all yeah because like I said earlier um you know there's but so many communities of color and low-income communities in the nation after a while it's going to continue to spread and like I Uh said there aren't protections in place or strong enough protections in place to where you know nobody's safe so it could be you know somebody else's community tomorrow or in the next five or ten years and that just doesn't feel good yeah absolutely i know that you can see now why i love this duo Not only do they offer some great products, but their heart behind what they do is truly amazing. I love that they are helping parents and really people of all kinds to bring safe and trustworthy products into their homes. And I also love that they're uplifting black business owners while they do it. There are so many good reasons to support their mission, so make sure that you check out their shop. I can personally vouch that what they sell is amazing. My kids love their stuff, and so do I. And the best part is, this isn't the end. This is only part one. Next week, Kim and Aaliyah will be back to talk more about their business and the products they sell, and they're also sharing about ways that we, no matter our skin color, can be involved in fighting the injustice that is environmental racism. 
You don't want to miss this episode, so make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you can tune in next week. You can do it right now on whatever app you're listening on by hitting the subscribe button. Don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show while you're over there. And also, share the show with friends. More people need to hear these conversations, and more people definitely need to know about Evergreen Baby. So please take a second to text the link to listen to the show to your friends, or tag us online to let us know you're listening. You can find the links to tag us in the show notes, and the link to shop New Leaf Naturals CBD products is also there. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and until next week, remember to always question before you buy and do your research to be a more conscious consumer. Continue to normalize buying black and supporting minority-owned businesses whenever you can, and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out! Could always be